Good morning. Good morning, GCC. Let's stand, let's sing. Psalm 47, one says, come, everyone clap your hands, shout to God with joyful praise. Let's sing and worship him this morning.
church, everybody. Man, it's grateful to, to come together on a Sunday and sing praises to our King Jesus. Hey, we have a great service planned for you. You can follow along in this worship guide. We got a, a great sermon plan. It's the end of one of our series about the Lord's Supper, and then we'll participate in the Lord's Supper. And next week, we're going to start a new series in 1 Kings about Elijah. So if you ever want to know everything there was to know about Elijah, then you can look. Uh, come next week, and we'll learn all about that. A couple of events you can see also in here is, uh, look at that, Easter is coming. It's six weeks away. Can you believe it? Man, Easter is one of the easiest times to invite friends and family. Everyone wants to come to church on Easter. And here's what I'm doing. I got, I'm making a list of four folks that are kind of in my circle. A couple are easy buttons, so I know I can get a win there, but a couple are a little harder. There's some neighbors. I just know their names. So my, I'm going to pray for them every week until Easter. I'm inviting them. I'm gonna, my plan is to take over one of these rows. I'm going to take over one of these rows. And so if you, if you don't have anyone to pray for, you can pray for me and, and my uh, evangelistic efforts. But I encourage you to find four people in your world that you can invite as well. On the back of the worship guide, there's some helpful information for our guests. If you're a guest here, we know it's hard to show up someplace that you've never been. And we want it to be easy and welcoming. And so we've tried to done that. We hope that you've just had a good experience so far. And, that God really connects with you today. We don't want you to leave empty-handed, though. We have a guest gift for you in the lobby. The new here kiosk love for you to receive that on your way out so you can leave with some goodies to remember us by so you can come back next week. And hey, uh, we are going to uh, also receive an offering. We've kind of flip-flopped our services. A lot of our music will be at the end after the message. So we're going to receive the offering. Those cards, though, you can keep hold on to those to the end of the service. You can put those at the buckets at the back. As you're preparing your offering or maybe finishing those cards, I wanted to give you something to think about, chew on while you're thinking about offering. There's really two types of people in this world, in my opinion, when it comes to watching movies and movie theaters. One's my wife, who wants to get there early, not move, get her popcorn, stay through the whole thing, watch all the credits until the lights come on and they kick her out. She wants the full experience of entertainment. Then there's people like me. I want to get there exactly when the movie starts, and as soon as that sucker's over, I want out. Get me out, right? You guys, those two types of people, there's no middle ground here. So if you were to watch uh, Star Wars, for instance, and watch all the credits, you would see different um, people who made sure that movie went off well. The producer, director, the animator, set designer, animal trainer, a driver, grip and key grip, whatever those are. Hundreds and hundreds of people make this movie happen. And I thought, that's a lot like church. Church is like that. There's so many people behind the scenes that make all of this happen. From people on the stage that you can see to the people in the loft in that dark room that make sure you have a great environment to the people working for kids to people who invite friends constantly to people who give of this happens because of you and people like you. So I just want to say thank you as we're receiving the offering to let you know that we're grateful for that. And if I could roll the credits, I would. I wouldn't sit and watch them, but I know that it'd be meaningful because there is a lot. So thank you so much. So as the ushers come forward to receive the offering, I want to pray for you. Father, we are, are grateful in Jesus' name that people like to serve the church and they do they serve you by serving your bride. And God, we're thankful for those that are in the back right now who maybe are holding the crying baby, comforting that baby. 
God, we thank you for those who give and give sacrificially and it goes unnoticed, God. We know that you see all these things. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and receive it. get to the message today a couple of requests I have for you I wish you'd pray for my wife today she's in the hospital and so I'm a little distracted uh, but ready to minister to you I thought we were hoping that she'll get out today and we don't think it's anything serious she's just uh, getting a little relief from her physical pain in her back and her rib and uh, just muscular maybe all the tests came back negative but they've just been watching her overnight so hope to see her this afternoon but if you're wondering why she's not here that's where she is um, and also, yesterday, I went to hospice care in Collierville. So one of our church members is there, Nancy, and uh, she's elected to uh, stop treatment on her cancer uh, and live out the rest of her days in comfort and seeing her friends and getting ready to go. And so she, she wanted me to come visit, and I did. And so we, she wanted to plan her funeral. She, she had questions about burial and, and funeral services and and caskets, and, and cemeteries, and, and you know, here's what she said, she says, I, I can't wait to meet Jesus, um, I know the Lord, and she also said, um, it's the ministry of this church that, that, that is behind her strong faith in God, uh, but she's getting ready for the next world that doesn't end, and I thought it'd be appropriate before I get to Lord's Supper stuff, is just to warn the crowd today, uh, that you are a heartbeat away from the next world. And you either get to be with God at home with Jesus forever uh, in, in the glory and the, and the grace and the love of God, or you get to pay for your own sins in judgment and hell forever. So what the Bible teaches is what Jesus teaches. And uh, I just thought, hey, be appropriate. Got a sister that's saying, hey, I'm ready for the next world. Uh, tell the church they need to get ready. Are you ready? Do you, does, does Jesus know you? Does he claim you as his own? Have you obeyed the gospel to believe only in Jesus Christ and to repent of your sins and, and be baptized and get involved in a local church and walk with God? Has that, has that happened to you? Because it's not something you forget. 
It's something you can neglect and the Lord will bring you back, but it's not something you can't remember. It's not something that just happened in your life and things got busy and, oh yeah, that Jesus, when he becomes Lord, um, he is, he's absolutely someone you can't ignore. Yes, am I right? And so I want to say that the only way to know God is through Jesus Christ. Uh, there's no other plan B. Um, no other religions get you to heaven when you die. Only a relationship with Jesus because he died for sinners and you're a sinner. You're guilty before God and you need Jesus to atone for your sins and take your sins away. And so look, there's not a better time to get your heart right with God and to meet Jesus as your Lord and Savior than right in this moment. And where you sit, you can believe in Jesus. You can change your mind. You can, you can, you can actually change God's. You can go, I'm not going to be God in my life anymore. I want Jesus to be God. And you may not even understand all that means, but you know what? Jesus said, mustard seed faith is all you need. If you'll just trust me, take that first step and believe in Jesus, you'll be like all the other people in this room that have, be that have become Christians, changed and brand new. And so I want, I want you to know that the call of the gospel is being made to you right where you sit. Believe in Jesus today. Don't leave this room without being his. All right, if you find 1 Corinthians 11 in your Bible, I'm going to finish a three-part series called Grace at the Table. There are four accounts of the Lord's Supper in the New Testament. Um, if you've been in Christian tradition long enough, you might have thought the way that the Lord's table was observed, that there might be only really one text of the Lord's Supper repeated four times. But what we've learned is that, is that Matthew put the Lord's Supper in his gospel to, tell, uh, to make a certain point. And Mark put the Lord's Supper in his gospel to show you that Jesus is the Son of God. And Luke put the Lord's Supper in his gospel so that when you come to the table, you come to the table of the foremost prophet. And then Paul puts the Lord's Supper in his letter to the first Corinthian, to, in his first letter to the Corinthians, uh, to show us that it's the table of the unified church. I have a question. When it's time for the Lord's Supper, and it will be for us in just about 20 minutes or so, when it's time for the Lord's Supper in a church gathering, how should we approach it? Well, 1 Corinthians 11, 27, and 28 has some suggestions for us. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. Now, can we agree that's a heavy verse? Uh, the, uh, the next verse behind it says, if it's heavy, here's how you make it lighter. Let a man, let a person, let a man examine himself, and then so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So, so we don't come to the table unexamined, but what does it mean to examine yourself? Depending on your past faith tradition, your spiritual leaders may have told the congregation to carefully prepare yourselves for the Lord's table by, watch this, Confessing all known sin. You've got to take a spiritual inventory. You've got to look at your own condition. You've got, to, you've got to look at your own heart because you're the only one who can see it. And you just confess anything in your life that you know doesn't please God, and you do it in prayer. Confess all known sin to God in prayer. I mean, how else could we apply the command to let a man examine himself? And my brothers and my sisters, we should be deeply concerned to honor the Lord's table we should be deeply concerned to observe it properly. 
But what does it mean to observe the Lord's Supper in the right way? And that's what I want to teach us today from 1 Corinthians 11. Did the Apostle Paul have in mind for Christians to take inventory of our spiritual conditions and confess sin before we eat the bread and drink the cup? What does 1 Corinthians 11 teach or instruct us to do? And for that matter, what's the function of the entire letter of 1 Corinthians? Well, I want you to know that Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, his first letter to a church in the city of Corinth. Now, you understand Corinth is a Mediterranean city, not Alcorn County, Mississippi. It's a Corinth, Mississippi. We're talking about the other side of the world here. Why did he write more than one letter to this church in Corinth? Uh, I had a minister growing up, and he, uh, he had dyslexia, and he called it Corneth. <laughs> and it bothered me every time, and, I, and I could, it, it cost me three paragraphs of his sermon because I was going, wait, it's Corinth. Okay, so Corinth, well, why, did, why did Paul write two letters there, and why did he write the first one? Well, it was because they had sent him some questions, and he had heard of their ministry, and he needed to correct some errors in their ministry. So to answer questions and correct errors. The letter addresses several problems. And in some cases, these problems were the worst of any church in the New Testament. It addresses problems that Paul became aware of among the believers in Corinth. Let me just list four of them for you. The first one's a doozy. It, it was so scandalous that Paul says, even the pagans in the, in the sexually immoral city of Corinth, which was like our Las Vegas, even the pagans think you shouldn't do this. There was a man in the church living in a romantic relationship with his father's wife, not his mother, his stepmom. But either way, can we agree that's bad? Not only that, they were, they were uh, showing this to the community, saying, look how grace-oriented we are. You can, you can we, come as you are, open hands and open hearts. And if you come to our church, we're not going to preach against him. We're not going to make you feel bad. So there was that. That was a problem. The, the next problem he addresses, he addresses the man with his stepmom in chapter 5. In chapter 6, the, there, there were church members in this small congregation. The likelihood is our church is bigger than the church in Corinth. There were church members in the small congregation in Corinth who were in disagreement with each other, and they were suing each other in courts of law against each other. Having Jesus live inside of them and saying, we can't agree and we don't have any way to, to resolve this conflict. Uh, that was in chapter 6. They were using their spiritual gifts to promote themselves, chapters 12 to 14. Uh, some even questioned, and this is why we have 1 Corinthians chapter 15, some even questioned the truth of the resurrection of Jesus and the truth that anybody can be raised from the dead later after they die. And perhaps worst of all, and what I think is likely the, the foundation of all the other problems in the Corinthian church was they violated the unity of the body of Christ. And here's how they did it. In chapters 1 through 4 of the letter, Paul focuses on their disunity. It, it seems that they had taken up teams. They, there, was a, there was a party spirit. I don't mean party carousing. I mean party political party. There was a party spirit in the church. They were uh, loyalty around certain personalities in the broader church. Some were claiming to be Team Paul. Hey, I, we, we, we take our doctrine and our cues for the, for the Christian life only from the Apostle Paul. He's, he's our guy. Others were, were claiming to be Team Apollos. And Apollos was a strong teacher in the New Testament. 
Others were team Peter. And they're like, hey, you can have Paul all you want to. We want the guy that walked with Jesus and cut the guy's ear off. Remember that? We want the guy that walked on water with the Lord. We're, we're team Peter. Another group even boasted that they were only loyal to Christ, so they were team Jesus. Disunity in the church body was also at the root of the lawsuits we talked about in chapter 6. Christian liberty, can you drink alcohol or not? Can you gamble or not? Can you go to movies or not? What, what, what ratings can the movies be? All of those questions that, that Christians in the modern age have had debated over, the, all that was dealt with in chapters 8 through 10 on, on, on how free are you, already also addressed in the letter. And then disunity in the body was the root of the issue around spiritual gifts in 12 to 14. And the reason I list those texts for you is listen to this. We're in chapter 11 on the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper passage, Paul put it right in the middle of all of it. On purpose. Or let me say it this way. The unity of the church is the clue to the significance of Paul's teaching about the Lord's Supper. And I just made that case for you by just looking at the chapters and where they're located. How then... Are the Lord's Supper, on one hand, and the unity of the body related? Well, there are, in, in the Lord's Supper passages, 1 Corinthians 11, verses 17 to 34. So that's kind of a long text. In verses 11, 17 to 34, there are four paragraph breaks. I'm going to show them to you in a list. The first paragraph break is 17 to 22, chapter 11, verses 17 to 22. And here's what Paul says, and I'm summarizing. He says to the Corinthians, I have no praise for you because you have divisions and factions. You're, you're, a, you're a divided church. And because of your divisions, because you all don't love each other the way, you, the, the way that the scriptures teach you to love, because you've taken up teams and build camp, built camps, in the middle of a congregation that's supposed to be together, when you have the Lord's Supper, it's all invalid. That's the first paragraph. The second one is verses 23 to 26. That's the one you already know. It's the basic reciting of the Lord's table. It's, it's uh, this is my body which is broken for you. This is my blood. This, this is the cup of, of the, this is my blood, the cup of the new covenant that was spilled for you. you. You know the basics of the Lord's Supper. That's verses 23 to 26. The third paragraph is verses 27 to 32, and that's when Paul gives this warning. That's when he, that's when he just puts his hand on and he makes it heavy. That's when the gravity comes. It's a warning to examine yourself and then you eat and drink in a worthy manner because we all want to avoid the chastening or the discipline of the Lord. You know what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth? He says, because you're so careless and because you're so divided and because you've turned the Lord's Supper into a mockery, some of you are sick and some of you have even died. The chastening of the Lord. I'm not making that up. You can go read it. And then the fourth paragraph is verses 33 and 34. And Paul encourages everybody. It's an exhortation. Wait for one another when observing the Lord's table. And I'll, I'll be more specific about what it means to wait for one another at the end of the message. All right. So this stuff is important. I don't want it to feel like a Sunday school lesson. But, hey, look, we want to rightly divide the word of truth. The Corinthian believers had formed poor habits 
in how they observe the Lord's Supper. And here, here's what I love about the grace in this text, because this is grace at the table. Poor habits in churches aren't fatal because the Corinthian church was a mess. And the Apostle Paul says, you guys are brothers and sisters in Christ. He, even though you mess everything up, you got every spiritual gift, you are fully equipped to be a great church in your city. And even though you've messed all this stuff up royally, God hasn't abandoned you. There's so much grace for the church. So they have these poor habits, but habits can be changed by the glory of God. It was destroying their unity. And that's why Paul brings up the Lord's Supper in, the letter, in his letter in the first place. It's something like this. It's, it's stunning to me. Their practices were invalidating the Lord's Supper among themselves. And when that letter showed up on that parchment in the city of Corinth, and the elders of the church got there, and they had somebody read it, hopefully somebody with a good, a good speaking voice and with good reading skills, and they read this letter, you could have heard a pin drop in the chapel. Because here was a letter that says, I love all of you people. You are Christians, but you're very immature. And it's time to repent. It's time to recognize all these errors, correct them, and go forward with the gospel. I don't think they felt good after somebody read the letter the first time in their congregation. Do you? Um, God gave you feelings, but it, feelings aren't how we determine doctrine. Feelings are supposed to help us emote with God and be willing to change. Folks that go, I don't want any feelings. Or, or what they're saying is, God, I, I'm willing to have a hard heart and I dare you to try to soften it up. And God, you know what God says? I love you so much, I'll take the dare. All right? So here's verses 17 and 18. Now in giving these instructions, I do not praise you. Since you come together, you ought to underline this in your Bible. Since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you, and in part I believe it. In other words, Paul heard about the team Jesus, the team Paul, the team Peter, the team Apollos. I had you circle since you come together, not for the better, but for the worse. The NIV translates that phrase, your meetings do more harm than good. When you come to church, nobody's being helped and people are being hurt. Because you take the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And that unworthy manner is you're all divided. It's for, the, it's for the worse, not for the better. Imagine how that church felt when that verse was read to them for the first time. Your meetings do more harm than good. Your congregation's divided. You're not characterized by love for each other. The very opposite of what the Lord's table illustrates and means is is love and unity. Here's verses 20, 21, and 22 of 1 Corinthians 11. Therefore, when you come together in one place, it's not, the Lord's, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper. For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. One is hungry and another is drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall, shall I praise you in this? 
I do not praise you. Can you imagine my brothers and my sisters having an apostle of Christ tell you that your church meetings and your activities surrounding the Lord's table were actually detrimental to the health of your church? How did they feel when they read that their Lord's Supper observances were not really the Lord's Supper after all? When you come together in one place, it's not to eat the Lord's Supper, even though, if you, even though you think it is. Now, the truth is, I got lots of commentaries on 1 Corinthians. Uh, conservative evangelical commentaries of people who believe the Bible, and yet there is no consensus about the specific problem that they were having when they observed the Lord's table. But I'll give you a range of lists. I'll give you a range or a list of things from the verses we just read, giving my best shot. And I'm going to do it with questions. Were the wealthier members of the church arriving early, eating the meal, and leaving nothing for the poorer members many of whom would have been slaves. You guys remember we had to make rules for our potluck? That you don't let the kids go first? Because if you let the kids go first, the real servants of the church that eat last, we get like a little spoonful of potatoes. Remember that? And we all laugh, but, it, but I had to do it because it, it, it hurts unity. Kids throwing food away and people back in the back not getting anything. Does that make sense? Now just, now just pretend you don't get to blame it on the kids. That was, that was the Corinthians. For in eating, each of you takes his own supper ahead of others. Were the individual families eating their own meals at the gathering, leaving the poor believers left out because they wouldn't have a means to go get their own? Were the more honored members receiving a better allotment of food? Because that was the dining customs in, of the Romans in Corinth, in the Roman Empire. Were they, were they getting the best stuff while the rest were given food of less quality that lined up with their social status, kind of a caste system? Because if that was happening, that denies the position of the poor members and the former slaves there as brothers and sisters in the only family that matters, which is the family of Jesus. Whatever the issues were, Paul says, one's hungry, another's drunk. What's his point? Paul's point is that nothing in the gathering of the church demonstrates our unity more than the Lord's Supper. That's why we have it a lot. That's why it's a big deal to us. It's why we, we gladly come to this table. It's why we get to church and we don't go, oh man, it's Lord's Supper day. We get to church and we go, oh, it's the covenant meal today. We get to remember the king today. We get to look in the eyes of our brothers and sisters and see the redeemed together today. This is a blessing. It's never an eye roll, amen? So finally today, two major questions and I'm done. Number one, what does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? You finding this helpful so far? Because when I listened to my recording of my sermon last night, I was like, man, that stinks. I've got I to gotta fix this. Maybe it's just oversight for me. I've, just, I've, I've been reading this and studying for so long. I, just, I hope it's helpful. I made some edits. What does it mean to eat and drink in an unworthy manner? It means to eat and drink in such a way that scorns the church. It means to eat and drink so that the poor suffer shame. 
This is, for, but I, what is, this is what I'm pulling out of the text here. It is to limit the Lord's Supper to your own social group or to exclude any brother or sister in any way, whether, it's, whether it was innocently or thoughtlessly, whether it was inadvertently or on purpose, to exclude any brother or sister. That's the best I have for the answers to that question from 1 Corinthians 11. Before I move on from the answer to this question, my favorite professor, Dr. Jim Allman, wrote in his book on the Lord's Supper, which I've been borrowing from for this, this uh, series, uh, the Lord's Supper is the family meal of the redeemed. You know, what, you know what that means it isn't? It isn't your personal pit stop to get your heart right with God. It's not a, it's not a ministry line where you get in line and you come up here and you, and you do stuff for yourself. The Lord's table is a collective event. It is not individual. And furthermore, look, if you go visit another church and they do the Lord's table and they invite you to the table, you should go if you want to. Unless, unless they make it a go over here, have the Lord's Supper in the corner, pray by yourself and go back to your seat. That's a happy meal for Jesus. That's not the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is us, not me. You get that? It's the family meal of redeemed. It's always collective. Um, second question, and I'm landing the plane here. How does the Lord's Supper communicate unity in the church? You said it, it, it's, our, it's our best picture of unity. How does it communicate that? Well, in chapter 10, which comes before chapter 11, Paul uses the supper to explain why Christians should not participate in idolatrous feasts, food sacrificed to idols in that Corinthian city. Uh, idolatrous feasts were pagan parties with cultic rituals and sacrifices. And they were so bad that, that it's, it would be inappropriate for me to tell you what they did in those meetings from this stage. So what does he say? He says, the bread is a symbol of the church's unity. Now look, we buy crackers and Chex Mix. But the early church didn't, didn't have the same supermarkets, right? And so if they're going to eat bread, they had, you, you bake bread in what? What do they come out in? Loaves. So you bring the loaf, and you bring one, and everybody pulls from it and eats. And you may have been in a tradition that does that, and, and that'd be great. But y'all remember COVID-19? Just checking. And, you know, we, we live in germophobia 2024. And so, so we don't, I have, a, I have an Anglican pastor friend in town, and he was telling me how they do the Lord's Supper. And it, it's a small church, but I, it, that still doesn't matter to me. Because they, they, they pull from a common loaf, and they drink from a common cup. And at the end, he has to finish all of it. But, but the symbolism is there. Their symbolism is a little bit better than ours. I just like not to throw up at church, amen? Hallelujah. Here's the verses, 1 Corinthians 10, 16, and 17. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread, and one body. Do you see how the bread and the body is uni uh, are in un unison together? We all partake of that one bread. The broken bread at the table, my brothers and my sisters, marks us as a united group. To violate that unity 
is to take the Lord's Supper in, a, in an unworthy manner. 1 Corinthians eleven thirty three. Therefore, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. I'm going to come to this table today with about eight or nine of you. I don't know which one I'm going to pick. You know, I get to pick sometimes. But when I get to this table, and I'll do it in both services so I get to see different faces. When I get to this table, I get that bread, and I get that cup in my hand, and when everybody gets there, and everybody has theirs, I look in every face. Because I want to see who's redeemed with me. And I want to thank God that that person loves the Lord, belongs to this church, and wants to walk with God with me. And so we wait together, and then we eat and drink at the same time. Does that make sense? So when waiting is looking. Look and see. Get over your stage fright. Get over just the uncomfortableness, even if you don't know the folks there, and look at the trophies of the grace of God Jesus purchased. Look at them. Wait. The unworthy eating is not solved by confessing any and all sin. You ought to do that but not just at the table of the Lord. It's solved by treating every member of the body of Christ as a member of his family. All members of the church are welcome. All share fully in the meal. All feel included because everyone waits for them. This is how we demonstrate our unity at the table. And let me just say, you can go look, you can go look for it in 1 Corinthians 11, 17 to 34, and you won't find it there. In none of those verses does Paul address individual sin. Not at all. You know what that means? Look at me. Your poor Christian performance last week doesn't disqualify you from the Lord's table. Because it's not your works we're celebrating, it's Jesus's. It's just the opposite. We're remembering the new covenant where God does the work on our behalf. Now, final application, two applications and I'm done. In 30 seconds. Number one, get rid of private Christianity. Your salvation is personal. It isn't private. It happens in your heart, and Jesus says, take what I did in your heart and shine your light in the world among men so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. It's collective. It's not all just for me or you. Get rid of private Christianity. And number two, embrace the local church as your most important community. You need to have a church, you need to be united with that church, and you need to be in unity with that body. By the way, you're not in unity in your church if you miss all the time and if you don't have a ministry in it. Is that too much, Randy? Too heavy? Look, may I just say that that people that really start following Jesus start missing other things in favor of church and not the other way around. Too much? Okay. You ought to cancel some of your worldly things in favor of God at some point. Because, because heaven knows the church in America will miss church at any tournament, any warm day, when the fish are biting, when the sun's out. When, it, any better opportunity. And may I say to you, other than Jesus, there is no better opportunity. So work on that. Lord's Supper teaches us this. Um, Chris Stevens last week told our staff that when he and his wife went to Israel, they got to, uh, 
not just tour the place, they got to visit a Jewish family on Sabbath day and watch the Jewish family have the Sabbath meal together. And he said at the end of the meal, the dad gets up and he puts his hands on the shoulders of each child and he speaks a blessing over their life for the week. And he, goes to every, and he speaks a blessing over his wife's life. And then he sits down and the wife does the same thing. And when, when mom and dad are finished speaking the blessing of the love of God to everybody in the family, that's when the Sabbath meal's over. You want to know about the power in families around tables? Chris went back to, he lives in Knoxville. He went back and he looked on the Tennessee Department of Corrections website and he found out not a single Jewish man was incarcerated in Tennessee. Doesn't mean they're saved. It means that it doesn't really matter your culture. There's power in mom and dad blessing kids around tables. And your heavenly father wants to bless you around this table today. <clears throat> That's good preaching. Golly. Let's pray together. Father, would you take the preaching of your word, let it seep into the hearts of the believers. Help us at the table today. Lord, to celebrate, celebrate our unity, to think about what you've done for us, to have our hearts glad because there's just a whole bunch of redeemed people that keep coming to meet together every week on your day. Lord, I pray you do for us at the table what you meant for it for us every time we meet. Honor yourself, Lord, in Jesus' name, and a faithful church said. Amen. Amen. Um, I'm going to have you remain sitting down during this next song. This song just will kind of put a bow on the sermon series over the last couple of weeks about the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table, uh, the Lamb of God who who took away our sins so that we could present our bodies living and holy sacrifices to him. So just, just um, sing along in your seats. Just read the words as they show up on the screen. And we're just gonna, we're gonna remember our king and his sacrifice for the next couple of minutes before we enter into uh, gathering around these Lord's Supper tables. our sins away slain for us and we remember the promise made that all who come in faith find forgiveness at the cross so we share in this bread of life
take a look at this video. We are about to participate in what the Bible calls the Lord's Supper. As members of Great Commission Church, we enjoy being reminded that Christ Jesus died for our sins. The Bible says, For the wages of sin are death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The Bible also says, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. The Lord's Supper is an activity where we rejoice together that we still believe in Jesus. We believe He is the one who helps us to keep loving God and loving each other. We proclaim He is alive and coming back one day. If you are a guest here today and share this saving faith in the Lord Jesus, we invite you to participate with us. If you are not a Christian or prefer to do this at your own local church, you can simply remain in your seat and observe how we do this. Unbaptized children can come to the table, but we ask that you withhold the elements and use this as a time to spark their questions and continue your gospel conversations with them. At this time, our ushers will release groups by rows.
Let's stand and, and celebrate our King this morning with some more singing to His glorious name.
church. Lord Jesus, we love you and we worship you in this place this morning. Let's sing one more song, expecting great things from God this morning. Lord, we know you're, you're in this room and we praise you, God. We want to sing to you. We want to worship you. We want to give you all that we have right now because we are expecting you to move. I just wanna be in 
celebrate? Fourth Sunday of every month is Prophetic Ministry Sunday at our church. Our first one was in January. Yeah, I'd hoped that maybe three or four prophetic words given would, would hit and resonate with people, and we'd have stories. God gave us about 45. We've been sharing them all month, and we got a prophetic ministry team of people, a couple dozen, it grows every week. They've been being trained and praying, learning how to hear from God for other people, and, and uh, we just kind of pray through these words and try to hear from God during the, during the month, and we, we compile these, and then me and Billy and some, uh, another elder or two will look at them and say, I think we need to use these this month. I've got to set this up. I just printed off what I did last month. We're learning this. Everyone can prophesy to build up the church, according to the Apostle Paul. And prophecy is simply speaking human words to report something that God brings to your mind. It's, it's a time to hear from God for other people. It's the immediate and direct witness of the Holy Spirit. A prophetic word is when the Holy Spirit makes a person aware of something. It's a unique bit of information about the present or the future. The New Testament teaches that prophecy is a major outlet by which God communicates to churches, by which he communicates to believers. And there are three, three and maybe four lists, lists of gifts, spiritual gifts in the New Testament the gift of prophecy is the only one that's on all the lists. And that, rep rep that repetition alone suggests that God expected the gift of prophecy to be regularly employed in the ministry of the local church uh, to build up the believers and to show specific aspects of God's will. Uh, the New Testament teaches that men and women and believing children can hear from God and, and they can all responsibly report what they believe that they heard. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight principles about prophecy in the New Testament because we're learning. We're growing. The first thing I need you to know is that prophecy is democratic. It's for everybody. It's not just for men or not just for women or not just for grown-ups. Acts 2, 17 and 18, Peter preached in his sermon, it came to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. On my men's servants and on my maid servants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Men, women, people in authority, people without it, young men, old men. It's democratic. Prophecy in the Bible is commanded and it's favored. 1 Corinthians 14.1, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. So we want to be a church that obeys this verse. We want to pursue love. We want to desire the gifts of the Spirit to build up the body, and especially the one that he puts at the top of the list that you may prophesy the church can do it. The gift of prophecy is for the benefit of others. I told you it's a time to hear from God for others. 1 Corinthians 14, 3, the one who prophesies speaks three things. Edification, that means to build up. Exhortation, that means to encourage and challenge. And comfort, that means to console, to men. It's for edification, exhortation, and comfort to others, to men. Prophecy, number four, helps the congregation to build up the church, to build itself up. How is it then? 1 Corinthians 14, 26. Brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, 
that's a, that's a singing. Has a teaching, that's like a sermon. Has a tongue, that's a gift. Has a revelation like prophecy. Has an interpretation, another gift. Paul says, you should do all of it for building up the church. Let all things be done for edification. Uh, number, whatever this is, prophecy is limited in public to maintain order and re reduce confusion. This is not a free-for-all and it's not supposed to be weird. 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak, let the others judge. You judge prophetic words because then always, people don't always get it right. Uh, we judge these words coming and going. I evaluated them coming in and you the hearer will evaluate them coming out because 1 Thessalonians 5, 19, 20, and 21, Paul says, don't quench the Holy Spirit. What do, well, how do, you, how do you not do that? By verse 20, do not despise prophecies. Well, I don't want to despise them, but what, what about the ones that people get wrong? Verse 21, test all things, hold fast to the good. Pretty simple. The next thing is prophecy can be done well. And this is what we heard all month. I didn't know that could be done with guardrails. I didn't know it could help somebody. I, I didn't know it could be not weird in a sense. 1 Corinthians 14, 31 to 33, after last month, for you can all prophesy one by one that all may learn and all may be encouraged. The spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means that it's not ecstatic. For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace as in all the churches of the saints. And so uh, we, we pursue the gift of prophecy, uh, not in a confusing way, but in a way that brings peace. Uh, the next one, prophecy is not on the same level as scripture. 1 Corinthians 14, 37, if, anything, if, anyone thinks, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I wrote to you are the commandments of the Lord. Paul says, I write scripture, and if there's a prophetic word given in the church, it's not on that level. That's why you test it. That's why it's judged. And lastly, prophecy shall be governed. 1 Corinthians 14, 40, let all things be done decently and in order. So we just got all these guardrails. Uh, man. Our folks have been hearing from the Lord and I'm pretty excited about what you're getting ready to hear. I want to state clearly that we never make decisions about a direction to take in life based on some single word of prophecy. We let those reinforce what the Bible teaches and the sound counsel and doctrine of the, of the elders give us. Um, we don't prophesy babies being born. We don't prophesy who you're supposed to marry. We just stay away from all of that. We hear from the Lord on things that are a little bit more general. from last month, Marilyn Brooks wrote in, I'd been having a sharp pain on my left side for a few months and it was getting worse. Stephanie, one of our prophetic people, gave a word from the stage that day that the Lord impressed on her that there was someone dealing with a sharp left side pain and you've been dealing with it for a while. She said, that was me. I have no idea what was causing the pain, but it was becoming distracting in my life. After the service, I jumped into Stephanie's line and received prayer there were no lightning bolts, there were no earthquakes, but the pain left. It was gone and it has not returned. God came and sat in the seat by Mary Lynn because he spoke to one of our people. So today, Billy and Alex and Jenny are gonna read the words that they've been receiving this month that I've vetted. And then after they read those words, they're gonna read them twice. After they read those words, I'm gonna pray and our prayer team's gonna get up here. They're gonna be all over the place. You can come to any prayer line. If somebody gives a word and it's right for you, I recommend you go to their line because there may be some grace for you from them, from the Lord in that moment. 
And uh, there, you may have to wait in line today to pray. Last time, it, there were, all the lines were full, and it took us half an hour to pray for everybody. We got plenty of time between now and the next service. And God has something for you through the ministry of the body of Christ. Ask the church, ask the staff after last time, how many people were, were anticipating prophetic ministry Sunday in January before we did it? And they said, maybe about 30. I said, how many people are going to be anticipating it this month because of what God did last month? They said, about 150. I think that's right. And so you need to receive prayer today. You don't have to be a member of our church. You can come receive prayer about anything. And we want to just encourage you, love you, and pray for you. So um, Billy, Alex, Jenny, y'all come on. You know the order. Anticipate what the Lord's been speaking to your heart. Introduce yourself. All right. Good morning, everybody. I'm Billy Egner. I'm... Uh, one of the elders here, and uh, happy to do that. Uh, I guess based on that verse in Acts, I must be an old man because I've got some dreams. <laughs> so uh, the first one, uh, I had a vivid dream of someone who wanted to join the church uh, but then decided not to because of uh, what they perceived to be racist behaviors. Uh, and I, I got a clear warning from God from that dream uh, that if it's for someone here, uh, I definitely want you to come and get prayer because the warning said, beware of racism. Forgiveness comes with repentance. Yeah. Uh, so beware of racism. Forgiveness comes with repentance. So God wants you to repent and, and offers forgiveness. So if that's you, uh, please come find me and, and I'll be happy to pray for you. Um, the second dream uh, I had it was a, a man who had failed at recovery five times. Uh, and so he's, he's wondering if, if he can succeed at, at recovering. Uh, I don't know if it was physical. I, I think it might have been addiction. Um, uh, so if, if you're familiar with recovery from addiction, it can be particularly tough. Um, and so this is also part of the dream. This got a little strange, but uh, it's part of the dream, so I'm sharing it. Uh, and, and it was a, a message that said, just the same as if you were given a cookie to eat, you get no benefit simply by possessing the cookie. You actually experience the goodness by eating the cookie. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you've been in recovery, you've been in recovery five times already. You know the knowledge that you need to succeed. Uh, you have to put that knowledge into practice to experience success. so it might not sound too good. But uh, what I've gotten is just a specific scripture, and it is Romans um, 13, 11 through 14. Um, and I'm just going to read it, and then I'll tell you what I kind of got from it. This, uh, this is all the more urgent for you now, how late it is. Time is running out. Wake up, for our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost gone. The day of salvation will soon be here. So remove your dark deeds like dirty clothes and put on the shining armor of right living. Because we belong to the day. We must live decent lives for all to see. 
Don't participate in the darkness of wild parties and drunkenness or in sexual promiscuity and immoral living or in quarreling and jealousy. Instead, clothe yourself with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ and don't let yourself think about ways to indulge your evil desires. Now, this kept coming to me for like two weeks straight. I mean, like twice a day, it would just pop up just randomly. Um, but what I felt like the Holy Spirit kept pointing to this was it, it says the night is almost gone, the day of salvation will soon be here. These disciples in that day, they were with Jesus Christ, and even after he left, it's like they still thought that the day was going to be tomorrow. Yeah. And it can be. We have no idea when we're going to die, when we're going to get raptured. Whatever happens, we don't know when it's going to happen. And it's not just for the people in this room. We need to share the gospel with everybody. Amen. There's so many people out there that are lost and broken and need us to share this. Because just before that, in verse 8, it says, Owe nothing to anyone except for your obligation to love one another. If you love your neighbor, you will fulfill the requirements of God's law. Love. If we just show love. Ah. Thank you, man. Hi, I'm Jenny Trent. Um, So the first thing that I felt like the Lord uh, spoke to me was Psalms 51.12, which says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. And I feel like the Lord said that there are those that no longer experience joy of salvation. The Lord wishes to restore that joy, and the Lord's heart is tender towards you. And another thing I felt like he spoke to me was church hurt. You can be offended, or you can be anointed. The Lord wants you to be anointed. Amen. Let's pray together. I'm praying, prayer team, come get ready. Father, I want to ask you, God, to continue this wave and move with the spirit that you started few months back, ministering to the church, God, in their seats, in their private, in the privacy of their own hearts, and corporately like this, come Holy Spirit, show your love through the body, in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, and be dismissed, the altar lines are open, and you're free to come and be prayed for by anybody, I'll see you guys next week, love you.